Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Radio Maine. Today I have with me Brad Blymeyer, and he is the co-founder of Warshore Trading Company. Thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm really interested in your connection to Maine. I know this is not your initial um, place of origin, right. but somehow you felt drawn to be here. Yeah, so um, I myself grew up in southern Pennsylvania, uh, right on the Mason-Dixon line in a small town called Hanover, Pennsylvania. So um, if you've ever had like Utz potato chips or Snyder's pretzels, that's my hometown. So we're just a little bit west of Gettysburg, in between Gettysburg and York. Um, but my connection to Maine is through my wife. My wife is uh, a Mainer, true Mainer, born in Maine. Uh, she grew up in central Maine, Pittsfield. Um, so that was our connection. To, um, and yeah, we, uh, we met out in Northern California. And uh, at the time I was living in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, she came back uh, east, wanted to come back east. Um, Started dating uh, and then ended up, yeah, getting married. We got married in Hollowell, where her mother lives, uh, right on the Kennebec River, a beautiful town. And um, yeah, and then decided in 2018, um, after my father passed away, um, that we just wanted our kids to be closer to their grandparents. You know, and Hannah's mother is a wonderful person and her dad, she has a great family up here. So we said, let's, let's make the move. So in 2018, we moved up here, had a day to find a house. Um, we lived in, at that time, we lived in Northern Virginia, about 40 miles outside of D.C. Our house sold immediately, so we were kind of, you know, on the clock to find something. So I remember we threw our mother-in-law down. She drove up with Hannah and my two boys. Um, I stayed down to finish out work, um, and then I flew up. It was the weekend of her high school reunion. She went to MCI, and um, we found an old friend of, of the family, um, as a real estate agent, showed us seven houses at the end of the day. We picked the last one in Portland, and and then 21 days later, we were residents of Maine. Wow. Yeah. That's a rapid turnaround. It was. It was really quick. It was from, yeah, we found, sold a house, bought a house, and moved to Maine in 21 days. And we've been here ever since, so. And it seems like it's worked out for you. Yeah, I know. It's been great. It's been great. We, uh, you know, we knew that eventually we probably wanted to build. I'd never been to Maine before I met my wife. Um, so I'm, you know, I wanted to be closer to, you know, Portland, uh, we're in the food business, you know, you know, we su- like to support restaurants, you know, so obviously the restaurant scene in, in Portland is amazing. So we, yeah, we found a house on Washington extension and then, you know, we wanted to kind of feel, you know, kind of get a, a feel for the area. Cause I didn't know the area at all and kind of see where our lives or our footprint was, you know, and it turned out you know, that, um, our boys got introduced to hockey at a very young age. So we found ourselves, you know, in Falmouth, uh, North Yarmouth a lot at the ice rinks. So when it came time to start scouting for some land, that's kind of the area that we, we looked at Falmouth, Cumberland, North Yarmouth and Yarmouth. Um, and then it was hard to find land, believe it or not. Like you think Maine's a big state and that land would be plentiful, but you know, for the specifications we were looking for, you know, something, you know, under five acres, but over an acre, you know, it, it was tough. Um, but we finally found a, a little two, two acre plot in North Yarmouth. And so we purchased that land and then, you know, um, COVID hit and that kind of put the, you know, the brakes on everything, you know, the insurity of, of everything that was going on in the world. Um, but during that time, you know, we just kind of kept working with an architect for a plan for a building and then, um, 
you know, once we came out of COVID, you know, we decided to pull the trigger. Um, had a couple builders fall through for us, you know, was, you know, so we were very close to just kind of putting it on the shelf for another year. But then the last builder we met with, we just kind of clicked uh, MGM from Wyndham, uh, Mike Manning, great group, and worked with their architecture design. He was a great guy, Matt, and we just kind of shared the same vision for the house we wanted. And, and yeah, so we just started building and that was back in, so we moved in about a year, well, June of 2022, and we moved into the main house and then um, we had a guest house built in a, in a swimming pool and that got finished in September. So we've been there. We love it. It's, you know, uh, it's a great community. You know, people have been, it's just, it's, it's nice. It's a nice area. And I was telling your husband, like, this is the first time I've been on Cousin Island, you know, and we live four miles away. So, you know, Maine's such a big state. There's a lot of like little nooks and crannies everywhere to, to explore. So um, it, it's fun. It's, our kids love it. Our kids love it. So. How old are your boys now? Um, our, my, my oldest Jet is nine and my youngest Jack is eight. So they're pretty close. Um, they're about 15 or 16 months apart. So they're one year apart in school. Um, in hockey years, they go by birth year. So they're, they're two years apart in hockey. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, they're type A go-getters, you know, very rambunctious. So we try to keep them uh, involved in sports and activities pretty much 24-7 <laughs> as much as we can. Um, but yeah. So it sounds like your wife uh, was pretty convincing to say, hey, we'd like to move to Maine. And you said, oh, sight unseen. Okay, sure. Let's yeah. do this. And, and 21 days later, you were here. So yeah, it had been a culmination of coming to visit. We would come up to visit twice a year. We'd come up for a week in the summer and we'd always come up over the holidays. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't a hard sell for me. You know, I've, you know, like I said, my, you know, unfortunately my mother passed away many, many years ago. And then, you know, I've had family in the area, but not our immediate area in Northern Virginia. Most of my family was still in Pennsylvania. So when my dad passed away, you know, it was kind of like, okay, you know, my dad's passed away now. So, you know, what do we do? What do we want to do? Like, you know, um, and family's important to me, you know, in terms of grandparents, you know, I only had one grandmother. Um, and I just saw this is an opportunity, you know, there's a good window here. Our boys are still young. Um, at the time, you know, I had a business partner, a guy I grew up with, and I just talked with him, you know, and said, hey, listen, you know, it's going to seem kind of out of left field. Not really, because he obviously knew that Hannah was from Maine, but, you know, we'd like to, you know, to move to Maine. And, you know, a lot of people think it was like a professional move, but it wasn't, you know, it had nothing to do with our business. Our business was in, you know, D.C. You know, we, we own a high-end shellfish distribution company, so we service Maryland, uh, D.C. and Northern Virginia. Um, so, because naturally people make the association with seafood in Maine, like, oh, did you move up there? Now, later we, 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 op, you know, we took the opportunity to create something during COVID, um, that allowed us to work and, and, and do some neat stuff here in Maine. We can talk about later, but, um, the move was, was strictly personal, you know? So my business partner was good. It, it, the nice thing is that, you know, Portland to Baltimore is an easy flight and our, our uh, facility was just 10 miles outside of BWI and we lived literally three miles from Portland Jetport. So it's an hour, 10 flight. So yeah, for the first year, you know, I, I think that first year we moved up here after we, um, after, yeah, after we moved, I think I spent about 161 days in DC. So we, I lived up here, but it still kind of felt like, you know, when I was coming home for vacation, 
Um, and then in 2018 and end of 2018, um, we were able to buy out my business partner. Um, he had had a super successful cybersecurity business that, that he had sold, you know, so when we started the company together, you know, it was more of my vision. It was both our visions, but it was more like, Hey Brad, if you know, we could make a, a thriving business out of this, if you want to go, you know, full bore in it. And, um, so he was, yeah, he was very generous in allowing us to buy him out. And then I brought my wife on, you know, gave her a very short runway, Lisa, to, to kind of get off the ground, but she's amazing. She's smart. She got it, you know, and then, yeah, so since 2019, her and I are, you know, sole owners of the company, um, and we work side by side every day. She, um, you know, I, we stay in our lanes. I think a lot of people ask, you know, you know, is it hard to work with your, your spouse? And I would say, as a side note, it's harder to parent with your spouse than it is, you know, to, uh, to run a business. But the reason it, it's successful and the, what makes it work is, you know, we each have our specific duties, you know, I, I kind of use an analogy of a Venn diagram where, you know, there's a small part in the center that we both kind of work on together, but for the most part, you know, she's back end, she's finance, she's HR, you know, and I'm more sales marketing, um, the face of the company, you know, although she has a, a prettier face than me, but, you know, I, I stay out in front of it in sales and marketing because that's my background is, is sales and that's what, you know, that's what I'm good at. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been good. So why seafood distribution and, and what, what did you, uh, what did you think that you were going to be doing when you were younger? Was it seafood? No, no. I, you know, if you would asked me, you know, 15 years ago, if you had told me that I'd be own my own business, I would have laughed because it was never my ambition to, to be a, you know, an entrepreneur or even a business owner. Um, I, um, we just kind of fell into it. My background, um, my degree's in English, the minor in philosophy. Um, so naturally I got into sales, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was one of those things I graduated college, went to school in Virginia and, um, my buddy, Dave, who I just talked about, who was my business partner, he had graduated a little bit before me and got this job in Baltimore, just selling local area networking. Um, you know, you knew when you got out of college, you just kind of tried to, you know, lay some kind of roots, kind of feel it out. And I took that job and I immediately realized that I like sales. I liked all aspects of it. I, you know, I'm not a math guy. You know, my wife's that right brain or, you know, she's, you know, she's, she went to RPI um, for engineering, started there. So that's her. She's math. She's like, I'm, I'm not that, that side. So, um, but I like talking with people and I like dealing, you know, I like the art of the deal and, and negotiation and I like taking a product and, you know, convincing somebody that, you know, that it's something that would enhance their business or their life. Um, so that was a great jumping off point for me. You know, I was 20 some, um, inside sales, all of us sat inside of a bullpen, you know, and just hammered the phones and, you know, created customers. So I knew immediately there that, probably the trajectory of my career was going to be in sales or sales related. And it was so, um, but the, you know, so I, I worked there and then I ended up, um, getting into software size, a, it, believe it or not, AI was an AI artificial intelligence, uh, software program in the academic world that actually would evaluate students writing. You know, it's funny now cause AI is really coming to the forefront. So this was probably back in like two early two thousands. Um, and that gave me an opportunity to move out to California so I lived. Uh, I moved out to Los Angeles, and I managed some territories in San Francisco and L.A. 
you know, I lived out there for nine years, um, you know, and came back with that same job. And when I came back, I reconnected with my, you know, my childhood friend, Dave. Now, we'd always been in contact, but we were in the same geographical location now. And he said, hey, listen, um, my dad bought this property in the Lower Eastern Shore, Virginia. His dad, uh, Charlie Savak, great guy, um, was a, a big outdoorsman, you know, and he bought this property um, on the Pungatique Creek in Chesapeake Bay just to duck hunt. You know, um, and he would go down there a couple times a year. And this was back in like 2009. So the aquaculture boom hadn't taken off yet, you know, um, but it was, you know, it was starting to, to set up, you know, to be something and to be really visible. Uh, so we were lucky enough to kind of get in the front end of that. And he said, hey, let's start an oyster farm. And I'm like, All right, yeah, let's do it. You know, now I'd grown up close enough to the Chesapeake Bay where we've been down there. Dave used to run a crab uh, truck from our hometown, Hanover, down there to the bay. So he was very familiar with it. And I think he cut some fish and seafood, or cut some, yeah, sorry, cut some fish uh, in a seafood company when he was in college. So, you know, we had a little familiarity with it. But we just uh, basically found an established oyster company, called them up, asked if we could come down and kind of see what, what they're doing, how it's done, um, buy equipment from them. Um, so that's what we did. And we leased a couple acres uh, at the bottom of the Punkatee Creek in Odancock, Virginia. And we started growing oysters. So, uh, you know, at pedestrian. Like, I, would, I still have my full-time job. He had his full-time jobs. And the weekends, we wake up at 4.30 and drive all the way down. You know, the thing about the Chesapeake Bay, you know, it's, it's a haul. You've got to go over the Bay Bridge, you know, and then down the eastern shore. So it's not easily accessible. Like up here, here in Maine, you know, people live on the Damascata. People live on the Royal River. You know, it's very easy to get their leases. I mean, we had to travel quite a distance, probably three, three and a half hours to get there. But we'd go down and do it. And we, you know, we put a, I don't know, maybe like 100,000 oysters in the water. And then um, finally they, we had this product and we're like, wow, you know, so we have, now what? <laughs> and uh, we're like, well, we should try to sell it, right? And so, so yeah, let's do it. So there was a local um, restaurant, and at the time, Dave was living in Old Town, Alexandria, right outside of D.C. Uh, it's called Hank's Oyster Bar. Um, and we went in, and we were friendly with them because um, we, uh, you know, we've, we were patrons there um, of the restaurant. And we just approached the general manager and chef said, hey, we just started an oyster farm. Um, we've got two bags of oysters here. Would you be interested in buying them? And uh, they said yes. <laughs> so we're like, all right, let's do it. So I think it wasn't that night, but shortly thereafter, you know, Dave said, hey, listen, you know, let's take a stab at putting kind of a business plan together. I'm going to pro forma and take a look at this. And as we tell the story, we actually create the business um, plan in that very same restaurant, you know, sipping whiskey at the bar. And pretty soon we said, he said, hey, if you want to take a stab at this, you know, um, we could we could try to make a, a business house. Now we realized, Lisa, that there was two sides of the business, right? There's there's farming and there's distribution. Um, and we necessarily didn't want to be in the farming side because we weren't in the position to move down to the eastern shore. Again, it's not like living off the Damerscott or the Roy over here. You know, it's it's out there. It's a lot of you know, it's it's pretty sparse down there. There's not a lot of you know, you know, uh, a lot of action. You know, if, unless you love the outdoors. Um, so we thought, well, let's go the distribution route. Let's keep our farm. Let's keep our flagship product, the Warshore Oyster. Um, and, 
you know, let's, let's try to market that. So we dropped the business plan and then I just literally started, um, I would take a cooler and I'd have oyster samples and I would literally just drive down to DC and I would knock on the back doors of every restaurant I could and try to talk to the chef. And that's how we built the business one restaurant at a time. <laughs> um, so pretty soon, you know, once we started bringing our oyster to the chefs, naturally they're like, well, is there anything else you could bring us any oysters? So then that's when we just thought, okay, we're going to need more than just our one oyster. So we just developed another oyster, um, a more brinier, saltier oyster um, off of Chincoteague Island. Um, so now we had two oysters with different flavor profiles. And, and then we just said, hey, you know what, I'm, I want to bring other farms oysters. You know, So we just really got into distribution and then we started picking up other oysters and then we moved outside our region up into the northeast and then we moved up here to new england you know then we started bringing in canadian oysters and then before you know it we were flying in west coast you know oysters and then just kind of built from there and then we started adding scallops you know and, and lobster meat clams um and uh yeah so that's how we got started i'm sorry it's a long answer to your <laughs> to your question but that's the backstory. So really it was about just the opportunity, you know, um, of being able to start that oyster farm and then having the, uh, you know, the window, you know, I was, I was, uh, speaking about Kevin, Kevin earlier about what I think in, in life, what's worked for me, you know, is life's about, you know, timing, um, opportunity and execution. Um, so, you know, the opportunity was there, the timing was right. Um, and all we had to do is execute on it, uh, you know, and that's what we did. And I give tons of credit to my wife, Hannah, because, when, <laughs> you know, when I met her, you know, I, I told her, hey, you know, we just started this oyster farm, you know, um, pretty much what I had in savings went into starting this farm. I'm like, you know, I don't have anything now, but I think this could be something. So, you know, she really invested in me when I had nothing, you know, to tell you the truth, you know. And she's been an integral part, you know, even when she wasn't officially working, she would come with me um, down to the farms, you know, like she would fly in from Northern California and spend the weekend in a truck with me driving down to an oyster farm, you know, and that's what she did for a, a long time. So it just was really neat when we had the opportunity to bring her on board full time and make her a partner of mine. You know, it just seemed like it was a natural progression. Um, and it's been great. It's been really great. So that's how I got into it. It was just opportunity. You know, my friend's dad was a duck hunter, had this property and boom. Um, and then, yeah, that's how I went from software sales to where we are today. You seem really passionate about the oysters in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's interesting. I, and I'll tell you a story which is funny because, you know, you know, you go out into your social and you go to parties and, you know, you're always exchanging innocuous banter with people and, you know, hell, oh, where are you from? What do you do? You know? So, you know, I tell people, yeah, I'm in software sales and that would, no follow-up questions. That would be it. All right. Great. You know, but the minute I started telling people that I grew oysters and then it was, it was, it was funny. Like there were, people were intrigued, you know, and just want to know every aspect about it. I don't know if it's something about the oyster itself or just something that, that, you know, is produced by mother nature and not artificially in a, in a, in a factory or something, but I found that people had a really big interest in, in aquaculture, you know, because again, you know, back in 2009, 2010, you know, it was just starting to become prevalent, you know, and even today in Maine, if you looked at the number of, you know, uh, oyster farms in Maine, probably in 2010 uh, compared to today, you know, I think there's 
well over 130, 40 now, you know. Um, so people are identifying um, the opportunity there. Uh, and plus, if you think about the product itself, oysters are great. You know, they're filter feeders. So, you know, they're one step above sustainable for the environment. They're actually restorative. Um, so oysters, you know, they, they clean the water, you know. Um, and, you know, before with the natural, you know, wild oysters, they used to be plentiful. You know, these there's the stories of Captain John Smith's boats would hit, you know, would get stuck in oyster reefs, natural oyster reefs when he's coming into Chesapeake, you know. That's changed now, you know, with, you know, um, you know, with, with civilization, right? So um, the more you're building, the more you're, you know, putting hard surfaces down, you've got a lot of runoff um, and that's, you know, um, coming into your tributaries that lead into your major bodies of water, you know, so it's, it's disruptive for natural oysters to kind of, you know, find footing on reefs and grow. So when aquaculture came along, the ideal farmed oysters, it was great because now you're putting a product back in that's going to, you know, you know, replenish, you know, the water that you're in and, and, and filter it. So I always tell people, you know, you're doing a good thing when you're eating oysters, you're really helping the environment, you know, so, and the states back then, Virginia was one of the first to kind of understand that and they gave tax breaks and they made it really approachable to be able to lease the land. Um, you know, we were able to lease four or five acres, you know, fairly inexpensively uh, to be able to do this, you know. And then now flash forward to today, 2023, I mean, the oyster population has boomed and, you know, there's tons and tons of oysters across the country in Canada, um, you know, and it's a good, it's a great you know, it's a great product. I, I'd like to say, hey, yeah, we chose the oyster because of, you know, saving the environment, but it was happenstance, you know. I'd be lying if I said that, you know, we chose the oyster because we wanted to save the environment. No, it just so happened that, that was the opportunity we have, and this was a fringe benefit, you know. Um, it's neat. People like it. People like to talk about it. Oysters are social. You go out, you know, who doesn't like oysters, you know. Well, actually, my wife doesn't, but um, <laughs> which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, so that's yeah, it's, it's neat. So to, to answer your question more directly, y yes, um, it's it's exciting to talk about you know oysters and and the environment because there's so many different facets of it, right? And there's so many different ancillary things that contribute to to oysters, you know. And, and you can talk about a lot of things, you know, starting with the oyster, you know, which leads into other conversations about anything with aquaculture or the environment, you know. Obviously, here in Maine, when we're surrounded by water, you know, it's it's, you know, it's been lobster, lobster, lobster. You know, um, I think oysters are, you know, are starting to get up in that conversation as well. It, it seems like, as you're describing timing, that the intersection between the work that you do and Portland and really the booming um, restaurant scene mm -hmm. probably would have created a, a very nice uh, synchronicity. I would, I would think, because, for example, Eventide right. um, really received national recognition, sure, yeah. and from very early on, and everybody was there, you know, lines outside their door, right. and they really did focus on the oyster. So here you come along, and you already have your product, and you're mm -hmm. from a different part of the country, but you're kind of bringing yourself to Maine, and it seems like that kind of worked out well. Yeah, no, like I said, it was it was easy. Um, so yeah, Andrew, uh, you know, small world, Andrew. Um, coaches little league, you know, so last summer he coached my son in, in summer ball and a quick story about him. If we have time, it, 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 it just talks about how, you know, how close knit community this is. 
so I, I see him and I'm like, this guy looks really familiar to me, you know, and um, I see him have, he has a shirt on with oysters. And I said, man, what do I know this guy? And unbeknownst to me, he was thinking the same thing when he saw me. And finally he came up and approached me at a game and said, hey, you know, do you work for, for Warshore? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm the owner of Brad. I'm like, and I'm like, man, you look really familiar. He's like, yeah, I'm Andrew. And I'm like, even tied. So the funniest thing is I was trying to close a big client in Baltimore um, with a lobster program. So we, we deal with Ready Brothers um, Seafood there in Saco, and they've got a live production plant in Portland. Um, so I flew down with um, two of their employees and to do this presentation, and they had this video selling this this product. It was cold crack raw lobster. Um, and that video we showed our clients, and, and it, it showed it, you know, it focused on, it spotlighted a, a Portland restaurant. So it was Eventide and it was Andrew. And that's where I remember his face. And then so I joked, I'm like, you helped me close a million dollar deal. <laughs> you didn't even know it, you know? So, um, so that, yeah, it was a little funny story that the first way, the first time I met uh, Andrew. Um, but yes, it, so to answer your question, yeah, it, 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 this is a good time probably to talk about the main oyster initiative. So when we moved up here, like I was saying earlier, it was, uh, a purely personal move. You know, I wasn't looking to do business in Maine, you know, or, or, or disrupt any of that. Um, but um, when COVID came around, I, you know, I know a lot of people got creative and, you know, without going down that rabbit trail of what COVID did and how everybody, you know, shifted, um, we, you know, we had an opportunity to get the PVP loan from the government. Um, and we created what, which many people did kind of just a um, uh, kind of a, uh, Blue Apron sort of I you know concept where we would take seafood and then we would ship it out directly to people in the home. So originally we first started doing it where we'd use our own trucks, our distribution trucks, and we would pack all the seafood in boxes and then have our drivers deliver it straight to our, our homes. So if you were a customer and you went to Hanks to get their product, now we would bring that seafood straight to you to your home. Um, so we saw we called that uh, current catch. And it was great. It gave us, you know, um, purpose during COVID. Um, and we, it gave us an uh, opportunity to truly use the, the PPP program in the real spirit of what the legislation was uh, to keep our employees, you know, um, employed and, you know, to keep going. So we did that once wholesale came back, you know, that was our true model. Um, so we, we phased that out, um, because that's a whole different ballgame that, that mail to consumer, it's, it's really all about putting dollars in the marketing, you know, um, search engine optimization, all that stuff. And that, that wasn't our, you know, a cup of tea. We wanted to focus on the wholesale as our business, but what it did, Lisa, it allowed us to um, create a space that we could do this. So we actually rented space from scales, um, um, so Dana had some some um, room right next to Upstream. So Upstream is the local river there. And he was actually going to do a, I think, like a seafood um, like shop there. Um, but it was really just vacant space. So at the time, George Parr, RIP, George Parr, um, he was kind of like a local fishmonger that everybody knew. Um, I was talking to him about places, you know, and he'd said, well, why don't you guys just come in here? You know, we're not using the space. So we set up shop there. It was great. You know, and we'd get all our fish right next door um, from those guys, you know, so it was, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, situation. Um, but when that went away, we had that space and I was like, you know, I, I want to still do something with Maine, you know, and I had a vision several years ago about 
taking Maine oysters and getting them across the country, you know, not only to distributors like me, but other distributors. So that's when we started, Hannah and I started, and, and the Maine Oyster Initiative. And basically, Maine Oyster Initiative is me working with, us working with a few select farms, um, taking their product and brokering across the country to other distributors like me. Um, and that's what we did. So COVID opened the door for Current Catch. Current Catch opened the door f- for us to, to get into the Maine Oyster Initiative. Um, and that's how I got involved now in, in, in Maine, to kind of circle back around to what you're saying. So, you know, our mission is that we want to take Maine seafood and, um, and represent it outside the, the state boundary, um, so which is really neat. So, so that we're putting true authentic dollars back into the Maine aquaculture that, that aren't recycled dollars in Maine. Now these are, this is product that's going out um, that is going going to other states in, in the country you know, specifically. So we actually don't do business in Maine. Uh, we had an agreement with Upstream um, that hey, I'm not coming up here to to look for distribution. It's a crowded market. These guys were great. You know, a lot of farms would go direct. You know, it, we didn't. That wasn't our that wasn't our mo up here. Um, our mo was to you know uh, procure the the best seafood and take it outside. Um, so, um, so yeah, so today the main oyster initiative, um, we've recently moved down to the Portland fish exchange and I run it two days a week and I work with, uh, two great farmers, one in Damascata, one right here in the Royal river, um, Butterfield shellfish, um, Keith Butterfield does a great job. Um, he's got his lease right between little and big Mosier Island and, um, they harvest oysters and they bring them to me in Portland fish exchange and I get them across the country. So. Um, we get them down to Alabama, Florida, uh, you know, Boston, they're out to Texas, um, Pennsylvania, you know, um, so it's fun. It's, it's neat to be able to, um, to take Maine's product and we do this with lobster as well, you know, so our big, three biggest products in our company, our portfolio are, you know, oysters, um, lobster meat and scallops are a big three. And, you know, so we sell about... A million um, Maine oysters a year outside the state of Maine. As a whole, we do about five to five point five million oysters as a company. Um, so a good percentage of those are Maine oysters. Um, so yeah, yeah, it it, it worked out great. Um, and just just to kind of meet Dana, you know, Street, and then to meet Andrew, you know, you meet people that are, are you know pretty big players. Um, and it's just neat. It's a it's again, it's a nice community. You know, I talked about. You know, the, the community, the hockey community for us was big, you know, getting us into North Yarmouth and, and you know, the restaurant communities is nice too. I mean, we don't know a ton of people, but the ones that we've met, you know, like Andrew and, and Dana, um, it's, it's just, it's nice. It's nice. You feel that support. And everybody's for everybody else. You know, they want everybody to succeed. And for me, not being a quote unquote true Mainer, you know, I ride off the coattails of my wife, you know, um, you know, to kind of get that street cred. <laughs> it's my understanding that you actually have to have about three or four generations back in order to consider yourself a true Mainer. I mm. thought you actually just had to be born here, right. uh, but that is not from what I'm told, Yeah, especially in the central Maine area, because I work up there yeah. in the medical field. And, and when you have people coming in, they're like, oh no, that, you know, th- that family's only been here a generation or two. You have mm. to, you have to go back even, even further than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would think, you know, um, so my my wife's mother's family are McGowan's, um, and so they've got 
several generations back. Um, her grandfather, uh, Barney, BB, uh, used to work at the state. Her mother, her grandmother, uh, who just recently passed away, was uh, editor for the Skowhegan newspaper. Um, my mother-in-law, Jennifer, worked just retired from the state. Or she worked uh, at, at the state. So, um, yeah, I think I think she probably qualifies. Now it's funny because, you know, her father was worked for Chimbro, another big construction company, growing up, and he traveled a lot. He was with Bridge, um, Bridge Construction. And Hannah tells the story that her youngest, her younger sister Heidi, was actually born in New York while they were down there, um, just for a brief period of time. And according to I guess some purists, that she's not a true Mainer. <laughs> so, um, but Hannah is. Hannah was born there. She was actually born in a barn, believe it or not. Um, so, um, no, I, I don't. It, I don't. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. I don't know the, the complete black backstory. I know that her grandmother covered it in the new, local newspaper because we have a, a, a really cool newspaper clipping um, about the story. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think um, her mother's doctor had like, for some reason, had something set up in a barn. I, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I know it was planned. It wasn't like an emergency. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, the many generations of, you know, going back and, you know, it's neat, you know, and again, that's that, that same motif, right, of family, you know, and, and pride, you know, I find, uh, find that that's, you know, that's neat. It's neat that, you know, families have stories and they stick together and I wanted my kids to experience that, you know. Um, I still try to take them back to, to Pennsylvania because I don't want them, you know, not to, to feel my roots, you know, and I've got family back there and, and good friends, so... Um, you know, it's, um, it's important, I think, to, uh, you know, to expose your children to that, at least, at least for me anyway. One of the things that I, I hear about often for people who decide that they want to go in business for themselves is that they actually have connections to other people who have developed creative ways to live their lives. And, and you happen to be connected to Jill McGowan. Yes. who is uh, a very well-known nationally and probably internationally well-known designer right. who's in the apparel field. So do you think that that helps kind of build, again, this just this idea that, okay, we, we can design this ourselves, we can figure this out ourselves, we can right. sell this ourselves. Do you think that that fosters that for you? First of all, Aunt Jill's amazing. Like, she's... Um, She's great. She lives in Falmouth. We we see her very often. She's actually, you know, she's actually involved in our boys' lives. Like she takes a real interest. Um, her son Theo was a hockey player, like our boys. He's older. Um, he's in college now, and he's just been a really good influence on my boys. My boys really look up to him. Um, I employed Theo a couple summers to work with me in the Maine Oyster Initiative. Um, you know, so I've got a chance to know Theo pretty well. We share the same birthday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Jill's great and her brand up here is great. And, you know, we talk about business um, and I don't know. I mean, I just I, I think it's more a testament to just that that spirit of McGowan's. They're all hard, hard workers. And I think my wife certainly has gotten that. My wife's probably the hardest worker I know. Um, they're givers, you know, like like they like to serve. You know, my, my wife, you know, she she gives a lot of her time, you know, she's, she sits on the board of the Casco Bay Hockey Association. She's, um, 
you know, she's a team assistant to a couple of the teams. You know, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, doing that. And that's her mother and her whole family shares that same spirit, you know. Um, but in, in terms of like, yeah, I think that just comes through. I think there's a, a certain spirit that you have, you know, you know, because owning a business isn't easy. Um, the highs are pretty high, you know, high risk, high reward. But at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're responsible for everything. You know, when I was a software, when I was in software sales, right, I, I had a territory, you know, California. Here you go, Brad, hit your number. I would do it and that was it, you know. Um, but when you're in a business, like every aspect of that business comes down back to you, you know. So it's neat to be able to talk, you know, with, you know, business owners like Jill or Andrew Taylor or Dana Street, you know, about just owning a business, you know, and, and all, all the things that are involved with owning a business, um, you know, and, and other friends. Again, you know, I've, I've got a, a friend who was the former president of Saucony Shoes. His son and my son play um, hockey together. Um, and we talk a lot about just, you know, business, you know, and, and managing people and, you know, resources and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said earlier, I, I don't, I don't know that I, I was never set out to own my own business, but it was an opportunity, you know, and, you know, there were some lean years. I mean, it, you know, we just didn't get successful overnight. And I, again, this, this is a, a big, you know, nod to my wife, Hannah. I mean, I remember, you know, she was pregnant with our first son, Jet, and I was trying to break in the whole, we were trying to break in the Whole Foods market in the mid-Atlantic. And they gave me three stores in DC. Uh, and they said, if you want more stores, you need to come out and demo. So obviously, you know, when you go to Whole Foods, you always see those demo stands, you know. So, you know, for a better part of that year, every weekend I was in a different, probably Whole Foods, over the weekend while my wife was pregnant, shucking oysters. And the Mid-Atlantic region for Whole Foods went all the way to like Pittsburgh and all the way down to Kentucky, you know. So, um, you know, that's a sacrifice you make, you know, and but it's one that pays off because now, you know, we, you know, we sell oysters in over 110, you know, Whole Foods in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast, you know. So, um, you know, it's just that kind of stuff um, that you just kind of kind of build upon it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's incredibly hard work to own a business. And I think, I mean, you've mentioned my husband, Kevin, a few times right. who owns the Portland Art Gallery. Mm -hmm. But he also is behind the camera here. He yep. does all of the the taping and the producing of the show. Yeah. You know, he and I work together very closely, like you and Hannah do. Right. And um, and a lot of our conversations are around, you know, how how do we reach people more effectively? You know, how how do we um, you know build community within the art world? And and it becomes a, a regular, ongoing conversation at almost every single you know dinner table and and when we're out socializing. And, and I actually think it, if, I think if you have the right attitude, it can really be very beneficial for a relationship, mm -hmm. but it's also, it's a choice. It's a choice that you right. make to um, kind of continue to really work through what can be challenging at times. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's no small feat owning a business together and, and raising two children. And, you know, COVID was the perfect example. I mean, COVID really, I mean, you're not going to believe this, uh, Lisa, but my hair used to used to be as dark as your, your sweater. Um, and COVID, COVID could have put an end to that pretty quickly. So, <laughs> but, um, but no, but, I, but, but you make a great point, but look, 
look what that's done for you. I mean, I'm sitting here today because of your efforts to do something different, you know, to put these interviews up on your website. That's how I learned about the artists that I purchased art from, you know, in, in your gallery. Um, I went online and I saw the interview with, with um, Bibby, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name. Jen um, lot, yeah. Um, and, you know, we, yeah, it, it's funny because going back to Jill McGowan, uh, the reason I even walked into your gallery is we were in downtown and Hannah was, I think, meeting with her trainer and I had a little bit of time to kill. She's like, meet me at Jill's store because she always likes to go in and, you know, and, and browse. So I went to Jill's store and, and was kind of looking around and um, I still had some time to kill. So I just walked down um, because I, I was looking for like, I was like, well, let me see if I can find some more galleries. And I saw, you know, Kevin's gallery and I walked in, you know, and met Emma, uh, who was very kind. And, you know, I kind of had just a T-shirt on, my hat was on backwards, you know, and just I was walk, walking around and I came around the corner and I, you know, saw Bibby's work. And I was immediately like, wow, like this, we need some of this art on our wall, um, you know, because we just built a house and we were trying to, you know, you know, really make it ours and do some stuff special with it. And yeah, so I said, so I walked back up, I saw the pieces I liked, two pieces I liked, and I walked back up and got Hannah and convinced her to come down and we walked in and she saw them and then she saw a third one. And then probably within 10 minutes, you know, and was like, I'll drop this off today on my way home from work. And, you know, that's how we were introduced to the Portland Art Gallery, um, you know, for what, which is great. I mean, you know, talk part about you know, talking about like our kids, you know, and our influence on them. You know, I recently turned 50 and I think when I turn 50, you start thinking of, you know, you're on the back nine of your life now and you start thinking about your legacy and kind of, you know, you know, what's important to you, you know, because, you know, more than half of your life is, is, is over. And one of the things I always thought was neat was like, what, what do we want to live to our, leave to our kids, you know, outside of just money or, you know, and, the first thing I thought of was, well, I, you know, when I turned 50, it was our 10th year anniversary of my wife and I. And so we went to the jewelry store where, where we purchased her ring and, and she's like, you know, you're 50 now, you know, how about a nice watch, you know? So, and I, I never really thought about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, but I was thinking heirloom as well. And so that got me thinking, yeah, you know, what are, what are some really neat pieces that I, we can have that we can pass down through the generations? And then a natural progression of the watches was, well, how about artwork? And we had purchased a piece um, of art um, from a, an artist in a gunkwit, uh, and that kind of like got us going on it. So we saw this stuff and like let's let's really invest in some nice art that we can pass down to our boys and they can pass down, you know. So that's kind of how I got introduced to you know Emma obviously and, and then Kevin, you know, asking, hey, would you be willing to come in and talk about it? So we're complete neophytes in the art world, but um, it's neat. It, you know, you don't realize it's a, it's like a portal into a whole different world. And, you know, and I'm, it's one of those things, it's like, you don't realize how many white cars are on the road until you have a white car. Like, yeah, I don't realize how many, you know, uh, galleries are out there until I started buying some art. Um, so it's, it's been neat. And I, you know, um, it, it's been a, you know, a, a good, a, a good thing just to kind of, you know, dip our toes into and, and now we always look for stuff, you know, because um, we want to make our home. I mean, we built our dream home, you know, and we built it with the ideal of comfort and community. Um, and, you know, we want, you know, we want our art to reflect who we are, you know. So it was neat. I didn't want to just, no offense against Maine, but there's only so many lobsters or you know, I didn't want to just 
douse our whole house in main stuff, you know. So it was neat that we saw this, and this was actually a California um, artist who lived close to where my wife spent time in Sonoma, Sonoma County. So we had a connection there with her living there. My wife, you know, uh, lived in Healdsburg, uh, California when I met her. Um, so it was neat to have, you know, the purchase art in Maine from a California artist. So I think we'll continue down that path just to look for some neat stuff and, you know, look from people from across the country to kind of, you know, buy from and then support. Well, I'm very glad that you um, watched the initial interview with Bibby and got yeah. connected with Bibby. And um, maybe when she's back out here again for one of her shows, you'll actually get a chance to meet her. Yeah, I would love to come and meet her and, you know, and, and show her where her art resides in our house. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's neat. It's, it's fun because, you know, it's something that you, you know, you look at every day and, you know, when we, when we were building our house, it's, it's weird until you, I guess, build a home, you don't realize all the little nuances and things, you know, like light fixtures and just placement of lights and stuff like that. And, you know, um, so we've learned a lot and it gives you an appreciation of everything, you know, that, that exists. And I think life's about those small things, you know, um, a lot of times we look forward to bigger events, you know, or, but, you know, what do you see when you wake up? You know, what's the first thing you're looking at? How do you feel? You know, how's your environment make you feel about that day? You know, so, uh, you know, it's neat to create an environment that you want to be in. You know, I, you know, we built this nice swimming pool with the whole idea and a guest house for community to have our boys, friends over, you know, hockey teams over, soccer teams, baseball teams, our friends and family to entertain and We've done that. It's great. You know, almost too much of the fact that I laugh because my wife, you know, she likes to be involved. You know, she likes, she's social and she's great and she, she makes great connections and likes to be out and be social. And at one point she came to me and she's like, you know, we haven't left this house in seven days. And I was like, yeah, that's great, isn't it? And she's like, no, we need to, you know, because for me, I built, you know, I, I built an environment that I just want to be in and just share it with people. So, Art is definitely a part of that because they're conversation pieces. It just adds to the whole, you know, the whole big picture of, you know, you know, living. And I've seen it here on your property, you know, same thing. Like you guys create a, a wonderful property that I'm sure that you, you know, that you feel great, comfortable with. And, you know, it's awesome. Well, those are great words to end on. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, I did too. Thank you. I've been speaking today with Brad Blymeyer, who is the co-founder, along with his wife, Hannah, of Warshore Trading Company. And I'm I'm assuming that if you wanted to learn more about Warshore, you could probably find them on the web. Yeah, warshore.com. And I hope that you'll be able to, maybe Brad will come to one of our openings and maybe also Bibby will, and, and we can all continue to build this great community. I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you've been listening to Radio Maine. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you.